Sue and I decided to uh, drive up to Artist Point yesterday. A week ago in the paper, I read that they opened Artist Point, and for those of you that are new to the area or maybe haven't taken note of this, they, they keep the, the, the Mount Baker Highway open to the ski areas, but there is a, a place beyond there called Artist Point, and they don't open it up till a good deal of the snow melts. Uh, apparently about this time of year normally, and then they uh, push through the rest of the snow and open it up. And there's a, a vista up there where you can see the top of Mount Baker from about, I guess it must be halfway up or two-thirds of the way up. And uh, so I read about that in the paper. And, you know, we lived here 30 years ago for a few years, and we only made it up to the ski lodge then. And uh, I thought, you know, it would be a shame to live here and uh, and not take in the view that we have. So said, hey, you want to do that? Yeah, let's do that, you know, and, and it's uh, quite a drive up there. But So we headed out and got our big drink at half price time from the Sonic and uh, <laughs> went to the car wash next. I'm not going to drive a dirty car all the way up Mount Baker. And we got about two-thirds of the way up, and there's a little raindrop. Boom, 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 boom. And then there's more and more raindrops. And by the time we got to Artist Point, all we could see was about half the art, you know, uh, we could see Mount Baker and kind of see the glaciers, but we couldn't see the top, and it was raining, and uh, and then as we drove down, it rained more and more and more until it was a torrential downpour, and I wanted to call up the people on the weather report and say, what's wrong with you? I was disappointed. My, as often as I get out to see the sights, uh, you know, my one day I was disappointed. Well, what I want to talk to you today about from Scripture is that God will not disappoint you. God does not disappoint. I know in some people's conception of God, He, dis- he disappoints. But the real God, as, as He really works with us, does not disappoint. We're working on, on a concept of, uh, of behavior and of righteousness on a, uh, I, I guess the word would be an illustration that I have created called the building blocks of righteousness. And at the top of this pyramid is godly behavior. You could read through the New Testament and pick any particular behavior, or you could also just look at godly behavior as the sum total of being like Christ. And what I find in God's Word is that if there are certain building blocks of belief, of faith, are not in place, the godly behavior will not happen. When people get stuck in their life, when something cannot work through, at the top of this pyramid, it is almost always, in my experience, because something is not working out in the bottom, in the supporting parts of the pyramid. We've already looked at this, the Word of God, as your worldview. At some point in life, you will have to choose a worldview. How did you get here? How should you live? What's your future? Uh, you can have a worldview of your own making. You can have a worldview of Dr. Phil's making or Oprah or anybody else that you would pick. You can go back to the ancient Greek philosophies. Or you can pick God's Word. The one thing that we find out in particular, though, about God's Word is if you choose God's Word, then it is an exclusive choice in terms of worldview. You cannot mix God's Word with other truth and create your own hybrid of religion, if you will. God's Word is the basis of all in the godly life. If you are not committed to God's Word as the source of truth for your life, 
then what comes out at the top will not be godly behavior. The second uh, major building block here is salvation. The Word of God leads us to salvation. The, I, I think I would be accurate in saying that from our perspective, the primary value of the Word of God is that we gain salvation and all that comes with that, heaven in the future and help in our life right now. There certainly is a major benefit of salvation that comes to God, and this is the big picture of life, and that is that God gets glory from our lives. And we'll talk about that later as a specific building block. The next uh, truth that we have to embrace is this. God has the only truth for life. Many Christians seem to want to start out with the Word of God as the basis of salvation, and they reject other ideas about salvation. But when it comes to actually living their Christian life, they like to mix things in from the world. And again, that will not work. That will not lead us on to godly maturity. Last week we looked at this truth. God has the power to enable change. When you receive God's truth and choose to live on it, God changes you. This is not behavioral modification, as in I'm going to put something on like a piece of clothing. This is you being transformed, the scripture says, from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ. God actually can change you. And that is a wonderful, powerful truth. Today, we're going to look at two more truths, the first of which is this. God will meet my needs. God will meet my needs. We can also put this in the form of a question. When we are struggling in our Christian life, we often essentially think the question, even if we won't verbalize it, can God really meet my needs? If I trust in God alone... Can he meet my needs? Well, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6 and answer that question by saying, first of all, that uh, God promises to meet our physical needs. Look at Matthew 6, verse 26. We'll start in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which one of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say that Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God says, look, I'm taking care of the whole world. Adding you to my to-do list is not that big a deal. He says, I'm going to take care of you. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, says, look, your Heavenly Father will take care of you. Look back a little bit at Matthew 6, verse 9. You know this. This is the, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, really the disciples' prayer. In this manner, therefore, pray. Here's how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Now here is a question. Is God so perverse that he would tell us to pray for something which he does not intend to do? Now I understand there are some perverse parents who will say, Come on, Johnny, jump. Come on, Johnny, jump. And Johnny jumps and they go, you should never trust anybody, Johnny. That's your lesson today. I, I believe there are parents like that in the world. I don't have any doubt about it. Thankfully, none of you are that way. If I ever see you do that, that'll be a different sermon. But God is not that kind of father, is he? He never says, oh, you should pray for something. And then he sits up in heaven going, <laughs> look at those stupid humans. No. In fact, the very best prayers we can offer are the ones he tells us to pray. And so we pray his truth back to him and he answers. Some other things that he told us to pray for. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Did he mean that if we prayed for workers for the spiritual harvest, that he would call people and bring them up and send them out? Or did he just say that to give us something to do? He told us in 1 Timothy 2 to pray for all men because he desires all men to be saved. Did he mean that? Did he mean we really should pray? So what do you think he intends to do if we pray for our daily bread? Now I'm going to ask you an honesty question here. And, I, and I'm going to tell you my answer after I get yours. How many of you regularly pray for your daily bread? Put up your hands. Come on. This is honesty time. Okay. Me neither until I had kids who have to support themselves. I'm serious. I'm not being funny now. And I pray that God will provide for them because I can't. And when my wife got laid off work four months ago, I said, God, provide for us as you always have. Do you pray for your daily bread? If not, then why do you worry about your daily bread? You're, you're into worrying, but not to praying. This is one of the simplest prayers, and I don't know about you, but I almost feel silly or selfish or something saying, God, please provide my daily bread. And yet he said, pray for it. So I prayed for it. My wife got a great new job. Yeah. And there are some other things on the horizon that I can't tell you about yet. With, but God is in the business of providing. But elsewhere the scripture says, you have not because you... You pray for your daily bread. Jesus said, look, the Father knows you have need of these things. If you're still doubting, look at this from Luke. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Or if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He says, look, God is in the business of taking care of his children. Of those who ask him. 
Are you praying for your physical needs? There's a parallel thought that we, that we just, this parallels Matthew 6. Here's the question. Here's the question now. Here's where it comes down to shoe leather. Do I believe God will meet my needs so much that if I follow his plans for my life, even when his way is hard or another way is more appealing to me? Let me get right down where we live here. I've heard people talk this way. Not here and not recently, okay? If we get married, one or both of us will lose some special source of income, so we're going to live together. Marriage is just a piece of paper anyway. Ooh, who's providing your needs? Would that be God? Or do you have to control your life and manipulate it in such a way to make sure because you're only going to trust in yourself? See, this is what I'm talking about where this belief, God will meet my needs, affects my behavior. How about this? Somebody told me recently of a contractor who came very highly recommended and gave a, gave a bid for some work, and it was a favorable bid, and so they said, would you put that on paper? And he says, no, I don't put anything on paper. All of my work is off the books under the table. And he came highly recommended by some Christians. Do you believe that God provides your needs so much that you follow the rest of God's truth even when following that is different from what you are naturally inclined to, something that looks more appealing. Do you believe God meets your needs that much? That's the question. This is an issue of faith in God. He promises to provide. Do we believe He will provide? Listen to this example from the children of Israel. This is amazing. You know, they they left uh, Egypt... And they're moving out through the wilderness, supposed to be moving on toward the promised land. Here's a review of some of their behavior in the book of Psalms. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Do you understand that? They said, can God give us food in the desert? Behold, he struck the rock so that waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? This is the people of Israel in the wilderness going, can God provide a table in the wilderness? Well, we know the answer to that because we got to see the whole story, but that's how they approached their life and God. And of course, if you read the whole story, you find out that How did God feel about their attitude? (laughs) And what did God give them? Oh, he gave them food and, and a little bit of discipline. Yeah. This is a great question that you might pose to yourself. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Can God put food on your table? 
I remember a time when somebody's car broke down. Really, it, it kind of died. It was an old car, and it kind of came to the end of its life, and it died. And it was a huge crisis for this person, and it kind of was the, the straw that they allowed to break the camel's back of their life, and they just said, oh, my life is terrible. And a week before that, somebody had called me up and said, Pastor Dave, I have a car I'd like to give. Do you know anybody that needs a car? And I went to this person and I said, God has already provided. Here's your car. Wow. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And we have to believe that so much that we... We live the way God has told us to live. We do the things God has told us to do. I heard a missionary years ago tell about God providing for his Bible college costs. And here's what he said. He said, when my friends in Bible college, we were all going to go in the ministry, but when they had a need, they would pray and they'd go to their mailbox and there'd be an unexpected check in their mailbox. He said, I would pray and God would give me a job. Did God provide a table in the wilderness? Yes, he did. Some one way and some another. God promises to meet our physical needs. Now, I understand that there's a struggle sometimes between us knowing what are our wants and our needs. But the Old Testament puts it this way. I've not seen God's people going hungry or his seed begging bread. God's going to take care of us. What a wonderful promise, but we've got to believe it. Number two, God promises to meet our spiritual needs. Jesus summarized it, I think, this way. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The thief that Jesus was talking about was Satan. And you can mark it down that the common philosophies and the common moralities of the world which sound so appealing and libertine destroy people we had not we talked about this a week or two ago with the uh, the death of michael jackson he had all of the liberties in the world did it build his life or tear it apart at the seams the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy he said jesus said but i have come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. He was talking to people who were already physically alive. He wasn't talking about physically resurrecting people from the dead. He did do that a few times. But he was saying, look, you people are spiritually dead, and I have come that you can become alive and have abundant life, full life. Jesus has promised to meet our spiritual needs. The needs inside our body, not the needs of our body. What is abundant life? Let me suggest some things. And this list could be practically as long as the New Testament. But let me just suggest a few that are part of abundant life. The first is this. It's forgiveness of sins. It's forgiveness of sins. How great is it to be guilt-free? You know... You, you, you did something wrong, and you got to go apologize to that person, and then they they forgive you, and you think, oh, man, I'm so glad they forgave me. And you have that, that feeling of lightness. That's what God gives us about our whole life. Wow. Jerry Martin shared with the men yesterday about stuff he'd done in his life when he's an unbeliever, and he said, when I got saved, God took all my guilt away. 
What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. We are, the forgiveness of sin. If you've been a Christian a long time, you, you might just have forgotten how great it is to have your guilt removed, to have the penalty of sin taken away. We need to, to perhaps spend time in the Scripture and, and, and just be refreshed at how wonderful and important that is. The re- forgiveness of sin, the removal of guilt, the restoration of fellowship with the Father. You can just talk to God anytime you want to, anytime you're confessed up, that is. And, and when you're not confessed up, you can confess your sins. You can talk to God. You have purpose in life. Even trials have meaning in life because God uses them to mature us. There is nothing that is meaningless in the Christian life. Everything is important. There is value to all of our work. You may have a job that you think is dull or unimportant. Maybe you put screws onto widgets. But the way... You live while you're doing that matters to God. And it can become a meaningful part of life. Uh, Joy, peace, love, all of those things that are part of the fruit of the Spirit. Here's a blessing in eternal life. Here here is a a spiritual need that God meets. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. I don't have to live in fear of going to hell because I have put my faith in Christ and He is going to make sure that I make it to heaven. I am eternally secure. What a great blessing is that? How, how, How much... How much does that fill up life? I I can't tell you how many times I've been around unbelievers and they do not want to talk about death. People in the emergency services, you know, anytime you talk about something negative, well, we've got to knock on wood or don't say it or whatever. And, you know, we might laugh or joke about that, but there's a lot of people that are really uncomfortable talking about death and eternity because they don't have a clue what's going on in their soul we shouldn't be happy to talk about those things but i can certainly be confident as i face eternity sue and i faced eternity yesterday we drove up that road there's no guardrails you know uh there's a few places where there's a guardrail there's, I mean, there's no guardrail, and it's all the way halfway to hell when you fall down the, the hill right there. Ooh. She tried to be real cool, but she was really nervous because I was driving, you know what I'm saying? And I gave just a minute's thought to what it would be like to roll down the hill. The airbags deploying... Me going, sorry, dear. (laughs) But never a thought about where I'm going. Because I know where I'm going. How much abundance does that bring to life? How much peace? How much confidence? Wow. What about this? The nourishment of our soul. 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus said, look, if you come to me, abundant life includes the fact that I'm going to feed your soul. How many things are people doing in the world because they're trying to find meaning? They're trying to make up for some wrong they've done. There's this hole in their soul and they're chasing about and doing and and constantly struggling and And Jesus said, I'll feed your soul. Wow, what a wonderful thing is that. He wants to feed our soul. This is foo-foo. I've told you about it before. Some of you maybe weren't here. In in some countries in Africa, this is a staple food. And it's made from a root uh, sweet potato type thing. There's almost no food value. Um, And it really does taste like what it looks like, like school paste, pretty much. Um, they put some like gravy with some kind of meat or whatever they have on top of it, and they eat it. But nutrition is a problem for the people of Africa who eat this kind of thing. One of the other staples they have is a corn mush type thing, and there's very little food value. There's some carbohydrates in both these things, but really very, very little food value. And so consequently, they struggle with some of those issues. Friends, the stuff that the world tries to feed your soul is like foo-foo. It's not going to nourish your soul, but Jesus says, I'm going I'm to nourish your soul. I'm going to feed your soul. What a wonderful thing abundant life is. The world says relationships will fill up your life. Experiences will fill up your life. Making yourself into something will fill up your life. Jesus said, I will fill your soul with good food. So God says he can meet our needs, and I would certainly just add my experience to that of saying I believe God does meet needs. The next thing that's closely aligned with this is this. God will reward, God rewards right living. Now, I'm going to sound dangerously like a charismatic televangelist for the next few minutes, but I hope you'll listen carefully for the distinctions, because I don't believe in most of the stuff that I hear from those guys on TV. But this truth is closely related to the truth we just spoke about of God meeting needs, but there are some unique and important elements, and the key verse for this building block is this verse right here. You know the first part of it well, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that God exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Do you believe, don't raise your hand, this is a rhetorical question, do you believe God will reward your righteous living? Do you believe God will reward your righteous living? Here's a verse that talks about that. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows or plants, the seeds that he plants, that will he also reap in terms of a crop. He who sows to his flesh, his sinful nature, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. God says, look, when you get up in the morning, you're going to make some choices about your behavior. And if you get up and choose to say, 
well, here's a sinful behavior, but it feels good, so I'm going to do it. It is a fleshly behavior. If you choose to do that, the result will be corruption. Picture it, if you will, on your notes as a spiral that goes downward. Every time you make a choice to do sin, you, you get over here onto the corruption part of life. And every time you make another choice, you go farther and you go farther. But, on the other hand, if you get up in the morning and the choice of sinful living or righteous living is presented at a certain point in time and you say, I will do the righteous thing, and you move toward it, what do you receive? Everlasting life. That is a God quality of life. He's not talking about earning salvation. He's saying that as you live righteously, you appropriate the blessings of the Christ life. And the more you choose sin, the farther away you go, and the worse your life gets, and you get way out here, and your life is really circling the drain, and you're going, what did God do to me? No, God didn't do it, you did it. But if you choose the right thing, let me make this real simple for my friends in the front row. I know for a fact... I love you guys sitting in the front row, by the way. My kids always sat in the second row. You'd have to fight these people for it here. But uh, the youth group in our church in Tukwila, which included my three kids, they always sat in the second row, and I love that. When you get up in the morning, you have a choice to make, usually very soon. What choice might that be of sin or righteousness? Yeah, yeah. What a specific one that kids have to make. Getting up. There's one. There's a junior hire. Yeah. Listening to your parents. Ding, 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 ding. That's right. Your mom says, mom says, your dad says, and you have a choice to make right there. And you go, hmm, that don't feel good. Or that does feel good. And when you get to work, you folks that work, you've got a choice to make, don't you? The boss says, and the boss says, and you go, that guy's stupid. You see, and there are choices like that all day long. Do you believe that God will reward righteous living? You see, the challenge we're under is this, kids. We think, if I do what mom and dad says, I'm not going to really enjoy my life. That's, that's what we think. And we get to work and we think, why do I always have to do this at work? I hate putting screws in widgets. And we think, if I obey my boss, I am not going to enjoy my life. And yet God says, I, God, will reward your righteous choices. That is such a critical belief to us. Because it is so it broadly impacts our life. God says that our genuine acts of righteousness will be rewarded. Let me show you one of the most encouraging passages of scriptures that I found right after I gave myself to the Lord wholly as a, as a second-year college student when I realized God wanted my whole life, even if that meant going in the ministry, which would just be the worst thing. I imagined, okay, you know, I'll have a lousy life, but I'm going to do what God says. No, look at this. Peter came to the same point. In this text, Jesus has just said, see how hard it is for the rich to get saved because they trust in their riches. And Peter said, we have left all and followed you. 
He basically says, well, you, you said the fault of those guys is not giving up enough. We've given up everything. And so Jesus answered and he said, Assuredly, I say to you that there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother, wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Now, for me, as a person contemplating a life of ministry, I went, really? If I choose to follow God, he's going to pay me back for any sacrifice he asks me to make? Really? And from the perspective of 30 years in the ministry, I'd say, absolutely. Absolutely. I have far more people I can count on than just my own family. And I've had far more help over the years than if I just had my family. My family's been helpful. I'm not complaining. But most of the time, they lived several hours away. And the people of God were my family and our family. When our kids were born, they just heaped stuff on us and heaped help on us because our our families were too far away to help us. Is this really true that God says, if I ask you to make a sacrifice? I think here's where the, I think here's where the TV televangelists go wrong. Because what they'll tell you is, dream up what you want. And then give something to God and he has to give something back to you. That's just a bunch of baloney. But here's what God does say. Look, if I come along in my word... And I specifically say, here's a sacrifice I'm asking you to make. If he comes to you kids and he says, I want you to obey your parents. God knows that's a sacrifice of your personal will. He knows that. He knows that's hard for you. And he knows it's hard for you when you go to work. And you have to say, well, I want to do this, but the job says that. And God says that I'm supposed to obey my employer. And, and when you're in a relationship... And you're trying to contemplate the future of that relationship. And God says, look, here's what's righteous in a relationship. And so you make the sacrifice of righteousness and you say, okay, God, I'll do what you want. God says, when you make that sacrifice, I'm going to pay you back a hundredfold. Man, that gets me stoked up. Because I can trust God to make my life great. What a wonderful blessing. What a wonderful blessing. Now, there are other sacrifices that God might, he might lead us to something that's not absolutely clear in the scripture. He might lead us as he led me into the ministry. That's not a specific command of God. But he led me toward that. And I said, okay, God, maybe God's going to lead you to something specific like some physical trial. And he's going to put some physical trial on you and he's going to say, come on, now keep following me. And so when you give up your own personal ways, you say, okay, God, I'll follow you even in this trial. God says, I am going to take care of you. What an incredible promise is this. Now, let me answer this question a little more specifically. How does God pay us back? Because again, I think one of the big errors of those folks on TV is somehow building up this idea that it's all about money and stuff. And I don't believe that for a minute because what he talks about here is he talks about relationships as well as the stuff of life. How does God pay us back? First of all, God gives us the inherent blessing of righteousness itself. I'm going to put a phrase up here and you're going to go, oh, Pastor Dave, come on, but you listen for a minute. Righteousness is its own reward. 
Now, that's a little truism that's been around for a long time. But let me flesh that out for you, because I think that is an incredibly important statement. It sounds kind of pious and trite, but wait a minute. What does God do in you when you live righteously? Well, a big part of it is right here. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me come back to my friends in the front row. The big question you have to answer in the morning is, if I do what mom and dad say, can I be happy? I mean that. But what does God say? If you live righteously, the Holy Spirit will create joy in you. Is that possible? Oh, it's absolutely possible. But it comes at the price of a sacrifice. There are things that we have to choose to do that are, that are hard. You know, this year for the first time in a long time, we, we got a tax refund coming. Wow, great. But... There was a mistake in working with the guy that prepares our taxes. And when it all came out, the IRS sent us a check right away. Amazing. And then we said, no, we, we owe them back some of this money. Like 150 bucks. It wasn't much. But hey, we're going to try to be honest. So we went through all these hoops, sent them a check for 150 and they sent it back to us. And I said, praise the Lord. Because they basically said, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. I can have that 150 and be thankful for it without any wavering because I did my best to be honest. I could have just kept the money and kind of looked over my shoulder. But God says, look, I'm going to take care of you. Righteousness is its own reward. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you peace. You have to deny your own path to that stuff and embrace my path. This last week, I realized a milestone in the healing of my shoulder surgery. I got a hold of the battery on a drill driver that I had to squeeze like this and kind of wiggle it to get it out. And I haven't been able to do that for probably six or eight months. And I got a hold of that dude and I took it out and I went, yes, I am finally getting stronger. And it's so fun to have a moment like that when I can see my physical progress. How much more fun is it to look at your life one day and go, I'm growing in the Lord. You know, I don't say that arrogantly, but every once in a while we look at our life and we go, man, I just did something really good. Especially for you guys, that would really be strange, you know. <laughs> but sometimes, often those moments come from other people. When other people come around and go, Hey, you guys are really good. We get compliments on you guys greeting people outside all the time. From anybody who comes to church, oh, them young guys are just so nice and that's just so wonderful. And we all go, isn't it great they're doing something good for once? Yes. No. But you know, you look in your life and every so often you get a little affirmation from God. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And so every once in a while you get this, this affirmation that you're growing in Christ. How great is that? Righteousness is its own reward. Don't ever take that lightly. But it doesn't stop there. Let me tell you about, just as an example, one kind of an encouraging blessing that God gives us. And it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 
This I say to you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He's talking in the context about giving to the Lord's work. In particular, they were going to give a benevolent offering to the, to the Christians in Jerusalem who were having a hard time because of persecution. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Do you understand that? The old saw is true. You can't outgive God. Now, not, you don't give to God to get from God. Because if you do, that's a sinful act to begin with. But you, you come to church or you see a need in the community and you go, and God's putting that on your heart, give to this. And you say, okay, God, I'll give to it. And you know what the promise is? He says, next time they pass the plate, you'll still be able to give. He says, I am going to sustain you. It's a promise of sustaining. Wow, what an encouraging thing is. But if I don't believe it, I won't act on it and I won't become, I won't get to know the blessing. Sue and I became aware of a special need in the mission field of some friends of ours. And so we agreed together we were going to give this, give this, we were going to, we were going to raise the money, we we're going to earn the money, we we're going to do something to give this amount of money. And the next day, before we even gave any money, God caused a friend of mine through us, through an odd communication, just, you know, one of those random conversations you have. He said, well, I can do this for you. And this thing he's going to do for me is going to save me two, three hundred bucks. I went, you're kidding. God's going to start providing for that thing already? And God went on to provide it all. And, and here's the coolest thing. I got to see God do miracles. The coolest thing is not the money. The coolest thing is God said, I'm going to show you how I can take care of you. And I'm going to show you, if you'll step out in faith, what I can do. Man, that is the greatest thing. That in itself is a reward from God. Why would you want to live an ordinary life? Turn with me to Matthew 18 now for one last example of this. This is a more challenging example. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, Matthew 18, 15, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, verse 17, if he refuses to hear the two or three witnesses, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now what is this? Sometimes we call this a church discipline passage. It's not. It's the how to reconcile relationships passage. And what God says is, look, you have a problem with another believer? You need to go to him and work it through. In this case, it's when the other believer has wronged you. He says, you go to him and you say, brother, you've, you've wronged me. 
And it says, if he listens to you, then you've gained your brother. He says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. You know, there's reconciliation. He says, if he won't listen, take somebody else with you. If he won't listen to them, tell it to the church. And the meaning is that the whole church then rebukes this person for their sin. And if he won't listen to the church, then put him out of the membership and tell him he's, he's, uh, we're not going to treat him like a brother in Christ. Now, how does this come back to God gives us encouraging blessings? God takes care of our needs. God rewards righteousness. This is God's method of pressing a believer toward righteousness. But many times when believers face a a difficulty and they look at this text, they say, this is too hard. If I use this on my husband, he'll get so angry. If I use this on my wife, she'll just go crazy. And so they reject God's method, and they pick up their own method. I told him I'm going to leave. Now, I'm not going to leave. I just told him that to get his attention. Oh, so you won't use God's method, and you are going to use a lie, because you think... You can make this work better than God. Now, when this thing goes south for you, don't come in here and whine to me that God has messed up. You see, you have to believe that righteousness will be rewarded so much that you follow God's path even when you think, man, this is going to be hard. This is going to be tough. This is going to be the worst thing ever. But you have to cling to the fact that God said, I am going to reward your righteousness. I am a rewarder of them who diligently seek me. I'm giving him or her the cold shoulder. I'm not talking. I'm going to avoid them until they realize what they've done to me. I'm going to talk to everybody I know so I can get vindication about what's gone on. Here's one that just, sorry. If I step on your toes, I'll just say I'm sorry ahead of time, but not really. (laughs) Parents and and little children in a store. Well, I'm just going to leave you here then. Really? Are you really going to leave him? Are you really prepared to do that? Well, no. Well, so then you're lying to your children, expecting your lie to manipulate their behavior into righteousness. All the while, God has told you what you should do with a rebellious child. Well, I don't believe in that. Well, so then you just don't want to follow God's plan. You want to devise your own plan. And yet, when the child goes south, you're going to go, I just don't know what we can do with kids these days. Folks, you want to get a godly outcome? Then you've got to follow You've got to follow the godly path. Um, I'm not even going to take any time on this, but as we think about God rewarding our righteousness, God promises to recognize our righteousness in heaven. I'm not going to read any scripture. There's lots of it. But let me just ask you this question. Do you think when you get to heaven and you see Jesus face to face, that you look back in your life and think, boy, I sure wish I lived in sin more. <laughs> Do you think you'll get up there and say, you know, I had that opportunity to be self-centered and I sure wish I'd have taken it because now I don't get that anymore. 
Well, of course not. That's just stupid. Well, then it's also stupid now. Because God says he's going to reward you now and recognize you then. What a, what a wonderful, incredible thing that is. What this really boils down to is the faith life. So then we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by... Now I want you to say it as though you expect a blessing at the end of it. We walk by... Not by sight. Sight is when you manipulate your world to try and get some guaranteed outcome that you're trying to create. Faith is when you walk on God's path trusting that what he is going to do is both going to meet your needs and reward your life. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, we are well pleased, rather to be in heaven, absent from the body and present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. May God help us believe in his generous care so much that we obey consistently. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's always easier to preach than to live. And I pray that you'll help me to live this out. I pray that you will help me to more consistently believe that you reward righteous behavior and that you will meet my needs. Father, help us to grow in our trust in you and in your goodness. I pray in Christ's name, amen.